0: we come to the last part of our quasi-advent series., you know, typically the calendar for Advent follows five Sundays prior to Christmas, ends on that uh, fifth Sunday. Um, we don't always follow that precisely, and, and I'm okay with that, but we have three, uh, we had three parts on Luke chapter two. And so we're wrapping up Luke 2 verses 21 through 38. The focus in this passage is the Song of Simeon, but there are uh, several other responses that we'll look at, um, beginning with Joseph and Mary, and then also concluding with Anna. But this theme, what we find in this passage, is really a a theme that is similar to what we experience every Christmas. It's this theme of anticipation, of waiting. Sometimes that anticipation and waiting has built us up to such a lofty height that as Christmas arrives and we open our gifts and we see everything in front of us, we're a little bit disappointed. Like it it, it didn't meet our expectations. Maybe we didn't quite get the gift that we had asked for. Um, Parents didn't trust us with it or something like that, you know. But we ended up getting something that we didn't necessarily want or that we didn't think we wanted. We all know what it's like to, to wait for something that, that fails to live up to our expectations, even beyond Christmas. Right? Or, or maybe we immediately desire something else that makes the previous object less satisfying. This happens a lot in goal setting. Right? We, we set a goal for ourselves, we work hard, we achieve that goal, and then there's just this immediate letdown of, well, that was it. And uh, we have to set ourselves another goal in order to keep us motivated. But could you imagine waiting a lifetime for a gift or a reward to arrive? That's what we see in this passage, not only from Simeon, but from Anna. Both exemplify this faithful waiting. Luke repeatedly reminds his readers throughout this birth narrative of Christ... Just how awe-inspiring the event of the incarnation was. Why does he continually do that? Why do the other gospels add to this? Are, there's, there's so many different avenues and, and things to, to focus on. Well, the reminder is necessary because unfortunately for most people, Christ's first coming was almost entirely inconsequential to them. Or its value had completely diminished after generations of unfulfilled waiting. So that they just simply weren't anticipating it. They weren't waiting anymore. They had given up hope. And so when Jesus was born, there were few like this to speak of. There were few actually waiting in anticipation. Those that were like Simeon and Anna had lived lifetimes filled with suffering and so we'll see what what luke makes clear here and throughout his gospel is that jesus was born to relieve the suffering of his people by entering into that suffering himself and so let's ask the lord for his help in understanding that this morning heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you for this reminder that we need to hear regularly because we too lose the value of the incarnation we lose the hope that we should have the joy That it should bring we lose sight of the mercies that are new every morning and christmas becomes just another thing that we we go through another season that passes maybe we look forward to certain aspects of it but we've long forgotten the true meaning and so lord help us to reflect upon these things with new understanding to have eyes to see the truth to have ears to hear and hearts that are softened to respond in obedience. Lord, whether we need to repent and confess our sin or to be reminded once again, as we should daily be reminded of the mercies that are held out to us in Christ. Lord, may we be moved by this passage may we be challenged and ultimately edified and equipped to continue to serve you, to endure and persevere through the long seasons of trial, that lie ahead, the suffering that awaits. So oftentimes, as we'll see, that waiting and suffering go together. Lord, help us to look to you and to be revived, and to find a refuge in you and your word. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. So read with me Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light. so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God, and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This first point that we'll see is the dedication of Joseph and Mary in verses 21 through 24. So if you're following along in your outline, that's the first blank, the dedication of Joseph and Mary. So in accordance with the law, we see that Jesus was circumcised and named. This would have been something that was combined with circumcision in the ceremony that they would do. Circumcised and then formally given the name. And we are told here that he is given the name Jesus, just as the angel had told them back in chapter 1, verse 31. So they're being obedient here in having him circumcised and in naming him accordingly. Now, I never really understood the point of circumcision until I started studying covenant theology and trying to understand, right, the the relevance of circumcision to a believer, whether, obviously, first of all, in the Old Testament, and then understanding that in the New Testament, it just didn't seem relevant anymore, and so I figured it it was another example of just the strange commandments that the Old Testament saints were given Something we could safely ignore. So, have you ever wondered why Jesus was circumcised? Why it was important? The circumcision was instituted with Abraham in Genesis 17, but that was 14 years after he believed in the covenant promises that were given to him in Genesis 15. All right, beginning really in Genesis 12, reiterated in Genesis 15 6, and then combined with the covenant ceremony there in that chapter. But he was declared righteous, Abraham was declared righteous on account of his faith prior to his circumcision. You can read that in Romans 4. So circumcision was given to Abraham and all of the males within his household from eight days old and up as a sign and seal of the covenant of grace and all of the benefits that accompany salvation that are attached to that covenant. So the Old Testament saints were never to glory in their fleshly obedience, all right? It signified the spiritual circumcision of the heart that only God could accomplish for them, Deuteronomy 10, 16. So Herman Boving says this, the covenant of grace finds its realization then in the families of the patriarchs and from the families represented in Genesis. These families are separated from the other nations by circumcision as a seal of righteousness and by faith as a sign of the circumcision of the heart. So circumcision certainly had religious significance under the old covenant, but it has a richer fulfillment, right? We, we reach a richer fulfillment in the covenant of grace under the new covenant. And so the Apostle Paul makes it clear that circumcision itself physically has no, it no longer means what it used to mean. All right? Galatians 5, 6, its religious purposes have been satisfied and therefore abrogated. Jesus inaugurates the new covenant, but he does so at the end of his first coming. It's really his death that initiates that. It's inaugurated there, really. On I mean, you can you could say it's tied to the the, the night where he institutes the Lord's Supper as well, um, but it's it's clearly reflecting his his death, where it where that new covenant officially uh, is instituted or begins. But all through his life, he's living a life of perfect obedience under the old covenant law. He's fulfilling the righteous requirements. That were laid up, laid out, for all followers of God under the old covenant, and so the apostle, or uh, so so Jesus inaugurates the new covenant at the end of his first coming, but he's fulfilling the law throughout the gospel in his life, and in the following verses here, what you find five different times in chapter two, verse twenty-two, verse twenty-three. Verse 24, 27, and 39, you see this phrase, according to the law of Moses, or according to the law of the Lord. It's reminding you over and over again, this is what I'm I'm showing you is the importance of Jesus satisfying the righteous requirements of the old covenant. He received the sign of circumcision in order to fulfill the law. So circumcision, it, it graphically signifies the need for bloodshed in order to cover or atone for sin. If Jesus was born of a virgin, then he was unstained by original sin. And so, throughout his his life and ministry, he is perfectly obeying the law. So he never actually had any sin to cover. So it would seem his circumcision was unnecessary. Unnecessary. It wasn't personally applicable to Christ. But he fulfilled the law's demands on behalf of sinners who placed their faith in him. so even the sign of circumcision points us to the gospel, ultimately. The bloodshed at his circumcision foreshadows his crucifixion. So circumcision, again, was the sign of the covenant of the... Old Testament and it's replaced by baptism look at Colossians 2 11 through 12 both signs point to the problem of our sin and our need for cleansing and the penalty of death required in God's solution so applying the sign of the covenant was circumcision and it continues to be baptism now as God uh, sets apart it's it's the means by which we set apart our children It's applying the sign of the covenant to them. Under the Old Testament, that was circumcision. Under the New Testament, that is baptism. In both cases, it's applying the sign of the covenant. So it's meant for children. I know I I just went, uh, uh, I I belabored a little bit longer there than than Luke does in this passage, right? But I want us to understand the, the importance of some of these things that have become a little bit obscure to us. And So then they follow this up with a purification. It says on the 40th day, uh, or, or that on the 40th day after giving birth, the family would have made their way to Jerusalem where Jesus was to be consecrated, and Mary would receive her purification. You see that in verses 22 through 24. Um, this is in line with, the, with Leviticus, chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. So once again, this ritual reflects an understanding of, that children were born in sin, and therefore the mother needed to be cleansed, needed to be purified. In this case, the, the child was not the sinner, but he came to bear our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now it says their purification, and some have suggested that that refers to both Jesus and Mary. It's, it's not. It's, it's actually a reference to Joseph and Mary. Um, you can see that from the way that Luke uh, uses the word later on they right he says when when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem so it's it's referring to Joseph and Mary coming so what is what is the need for Joseph's purification? Well, there could be a number of explanations for that, right It's not typical that the husband is is needed to go through this um, this cleansing in the same way that the Uh, that the mother would have but in this at this right point we can we can imagine that because of the situation they were in and where they gave birth that Joseph was very heavily involved in the delivery of the child and therefore became defiled himself became unclean and so they both needed to be purified well, it becomes clear through the gift that they make, the sacrifice that they make, that they are a poor family. I've mentioned this before, right? They only offer two birds because they couldn't afford the lamb that was required to give. So typically, you'd offer a, a bird as well as a lamb. In this case, they give two birds, which is a, a, um, an option in Leviticus 12.8, but it's for those who cannot afford the lamb. So it signifies to us of their poverty. And this offering represents that that substitute that allows the family to redeem their firstborn. That's all explained in Exodus 13. So I'm making the point here that all of this, Luke is implying, is meant to, to carry out the Old Testament commandments, the Old Testament law, all of the ceremonies and institutions that were passed on to the people of God. This family is carrying out those laws perfectly. Well, what does it mean? I mean, what, what's the point of it all? I, I think these, these Levitical laws of circumcision and purification, they reveal the weightiness of approaching God. And one does not stand before God flippantly, but with careful and meaningful preparation. It's, it's oftentimes through seasons of suffering, in fact, that God draws us back to the seriousness of our condition. And then in that sober reflection, we come to him in a, in a right frame of mind. Right, so these religious rituals of the Old Testament, they, they did not re- represent hardship in themselves. In fact, they were the solution to the hardship of the people. And Joseph and Mary were privileged to celebrate the ceremonies. They didn't think of this as a burden upon them. They point, though, to the ongoing need for this rigorous obedience as they lived before God. Right? They had an obligation to do these things. And so ultimately, we can rejoice that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law from birth to death, and here's my encouragement to you, that if you want to enter into a greater sense of reverence in worship, don't force a grave countenance. Don't make it like, it, it, like I've just got to really, I've got to pinch myself and get myself ready. I've got to make myself sober-minded and, and force it. No, you look to the Savior. It reflect upon his birth and the, the humiliation that was endured by this family. Our salvation not only depends upon the death of Christ, but upon the life of perfect obedience. The perfect righteousness that he lived in our place. That begins from his birth. So the ceremony of their purification in the temple allows them to hear this declaration from Simeon. In verses 25 through 35. Now, the sheer amount of space that's given to this declaration and to the events surrounding Simeon's declaration or about Simeon, the amount of space that's given there compared to the actual words that we reflected on two weeks ago, one through seven, it's shocking. And it compels us to pay attention to this section. Obviously, God wants us to learn something from what Simeon has done what he has said. He was a man of character, we read. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this points to the, the comfort and the deliverance, a theme that we've already heard many times this morning. This deliverance of the Messiah that would bring, that, that he would bring, he would rescue his people out of their suffering. And Isaiah 40, Verses 1 through 11. So Simeon was filled with the Spirit, and he understood that God would allow him to see the Christ before he died. He's filled with the Spirit, and by that he has been informed through the Spirit that he would see the Christ before he dies. And so he knew this as the Spirit led him into the temple. And his anticipation then reaches this peak as he sees this couple entering with a child. He takes Jesus into his arms and he makes this declaration Now you are letting depart. Nunc dimittis in Latin. It's a song that that we often sing, It, it comes from the words, Now you are letting depart. Those are the opening words of his blessing, declaring that he could now depart in peace. And so Simeon had, had seen the inauguration of God's salvation, the fulfillment of these promises that they had been waiting for. Jesus would bring revelation to Gentiles, even as he represents the culmination of God's promises to Israel. So Simeon's declaration was recalled explicitly by James. During the Jerusalem Council in Acts fifteen fourteen, again pointing to the significance of this passage here. A very significant point in apostolic age, James refers to Simeon and this declaration to understand how they could communicate to the Gentiles what was required of them. And so these words cause Joseph and Mary to marvel. In verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. This is the, the same word that we looked at last week in reference to the people who heard the shepherds and wondered. It's, it's really an ambiguous term. right? It can be positive. It can in- imply negative feelings or senses. It can refer to someone who's extremely disturbed or highly impressed or deeply inquisitive. All right, Joseph and Mary here are astonished as they learn about their son from the words of Simeon's declaration. Maybe they were marveling that, that God would grant Simeon this blessed experience before his death, but, but it specifically says that they marveled about what was said about their son. So they're beginning to grasp more about God's intention for Jesus to be a light to the Gentiles and we know from her song that Mary anticipated her child in chapter 1 verse 50 through 53 that that the child would bring down the high and mighty and exalt the lowly and so this is why Simeon directs his attention to Mary and gives her some similar harsh news. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus would turn Israel on its head, and many would fall and many would rise, Jesus will be the object of opposition. This was prophesied in isaiah fifty and fifty two So how would it affect mary it would It would feel like a sword piercing through her soul. And she would be devastated by the humiliation that he would endure and Although this prophecy speaks to the in some ways to the general rejection that the Messiah would experience in his life, it primarily refers to his death. And Mary's despair would remain until the resurrection. She was there at the cross. She witnessed the mocking, the beating, the, his hands and feet being nailed to the cross. And she would have been there when he was pierced through his side. So she saw it all, and it was as if her own soul was being pierced through. And Mary's despair would remain really throughout those those that waiting period, where she only saw his suffering. The sword imagery completes the thought of, of separating as well those who would rise and those who would fall on account of Jesus. Right? He is, he's the rock upon which many will stumble, even though he's the only rock upon, upon which all must stand if they wish to see God. And so we know almost nothing about Simeon other than the fact that he had steadfast integrity to wait a very long time for the Messiah. And this was the single hope that characterized his life. This is the single thing recorded for us about him, other than those like James who are reflecting upon him. His his waiting actually implies suffering. Why do I think that? Well, Romans 5, 3 through 5 tells us that suffering produces endurance, character, and hope. All things which he exemplified in his life. So we might safely assume that whoever possesses these traits has gone through much to get there. And so this text it poses a series of questions for the modern reader. One, are, are you waiting for Jesus? And that Simeon waited for Christ to come the first time. We await his return. Do others know you as one who waits? one who is waiting for his return. Are you prepared to die? Right? As Simeon saw the fulfillment of God's promise, he was finally at peace. It's only those who believe in Jesus, regardless of age, that can answer correctly. And then lastly, do you still marvel at the gospel? And Mary and Joseph were astonished by the com- the, this, these compounding signs That God sent them. Mary was, think about this, Mary was probably 14 years old. I I lose sight of that all the time. As I'm reflecting upon the the Savior's birth, I don't think about a 14-year-old girl in the mix who's clearly been doing some studying some praying some meditating some singing who marvels oftentimes we see this in young converts either young in the faith or uh, or just young in age we see this excitement but marveling doesn't have an age limit we should be marveling throughout our lives The key to answering each of these questions is the chief reason that Simeon endured. We see it three times. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit revealed God's promise to him, and the Holy Spirit led him to the temple at that time. He was filled by the Spirit. The Spirit reveals truth to him, and he is led by the Spirit throughout his life. If you look, you want to understand the secret to his endurance, it's the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that we endure with hope. And someone else was there listening in as Simeon declares what he did. And that's this reference to Anna, this example of Anna. And so we'll find here, let me remind you of the, of the headings for those of you that are taking notes, you have... The dedication of Joseph and Mary you have the declaration of Simeon and then you have the devotion of Anna so Anna is mentioned here as a prophetess she's a a rare prophetess in fact the Bible only has some mentions in the Old Testament something like 12. So she's a rare character just from her title and she became a widow after seven years of marriage, according to verse 36. So she's married for seven years. And then it says that she lived until she was... Uh, w- we don't know the language here is, is a, a bit um, ambiguous. Because we're not sure if it's meaning that she was a widow until she was 84, as the ESV says. Or, as the footnote suggests, that she was an, a widow for eighty four years after her marriage right at the point that that she comes to the temple here she 's either eighty four or she 's at least one hundred and three plus depending on when the uh, she was married depending on when Mary was married and how old she was and she was either twelve at the earliest if, if as I mentioned earlier she was somewhere around fourteen then then we would be suggesting that Anna was 105 either way she's very old and yet we find that she's very active what is it how does it describe her she she worships she worships with fasting and prayer night and day she she exemplifies widowhood in fact Timothy it probably has her in mind when he says in first Timothy 5 5 to that this is how a widow is to devote their time to prayer, night and day. And so it might be hyperbole to state that she didn't depart from the temple. I think the passage itself indicates that she did, (laughs) that she wasn't living there. She didn't have a cot set up for herself, that she just lived there. It refers to night and day, probably implying that she was there in the morning and she would return at sunset, at sunrise and sunset. She opened and closed her day. Going to the temple. The expression that she was coming up at that hour also indicates that she was not there in the temple prior. She came up at that hour, the same hour that Joseph and Mary were there with Jesus and Simeon. Okay, so Anna began to, to speak of Jesus after hearing Simeon's remarks. She begins to then share who Jesus is, to everyone who's there waiting for, for the arrival of the, the Messiah. She anticipated the same thing as Simeon. Anna came to the temple, thanked God for sending his son, and then told everyone she saw about the arrival of Jesus. So Anna is described as someone who was committed to the routine, the routine of fasting and prayer. And these are aspects of a healthy spirituality. And as we come to the the close of another year, many of us are thinking about resolutions that we want to make, changes we want to adopt in 2022. According to a Gallup survey, the most common resolutions are to improve your personal finances, to stop smoking, to lose weight, and to get more exercise. Nothing wrong with those. If you want to take those on, but as Christians who desire to persevere with hope, we should emphasize resolutions that reflect that eternal destination. All right, the early church was known for their devotion to four things in Acts 2.42. We did a series on each one of these back when we were preaching through Acts, a devotion to four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those were the four things. If you ask, what what is that church about? What are those people gathering for? Why do they do this every week? They're devoted to these things. So commit yourself to the Bible, to reading the Bible. Set yourself a, a plan to read through the Bible, whether it be in one year, two years, three years, or just to continue to meditate upon it daily. Commit to being a hospitable Christian to opening up your home to other saints, to fellowship with them. Commit yourself to understanding more about communion. That's when it says the breaking of bread. It's a formal language. It's the breaking of bread, the communion. It's it's the service that they would enjoy weekly, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 7. As they were in the habit of doing, when they gathered on the first day of the week, they would partake of communion. And so if you're devoted to that, that means we should know something more about it. We should continue to explore and expand our knowledge of communion. And of course, these are not listed in any order of priority. We should also be devoted to prayer. And in conjunction with that, fasting. As we see in the example of Anna. See, the goal is not to display a a legalistic commitment to religious rituals. And it's so easy to turn it into that. That's not the goal. But it's to worship God with the peace of Simeon, with the gratitude of Anna, and with a tendency to marvel like Mary and Joseph at the grace of God. And so let's ask for His for the Spirit's help in doing this. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that that we can not only see the gospel in the birth of Christ, we can see it even in the sign of circumcision. We can understand that it is only by faith in him and his perfect obedience that we have access to you, that we come to you as children to a father, knowing that you hear us and that you have the authority and the power to grant us what it is that we pray for. And so, Lord, as we reflect upon the example of Simeon and Anna, we, we are challenged. We are challenged to have that same integrity, that character, that would endure much suffering. But maintain hope throughout it. To continue to trust in the Spirit and His guidance. And so, Lord, we want to be characterized by the things that characterized the early church. We want to be those who are committed to reading your word, to meditating upon it, to sitting under its preaching, as those who would gather weekly to take and celebrate communion. Lord, to, to be committed to in, enjoying fellowship and having people into our homes and going out with friends reflecting upon your goodness and your blessings in our lives and lord always in all of it to be prayerful to be constant in prayer to be lifting our desires up to you to be giving you praise and adoration to confessing our sin repenting and hearing your assurance of pardon to be thankful for redemption and to bring all of our cares and our concerns to you knowing that you care for us so lord help us to be that kind of person that as we enter into a new year you would do a work in our hearts it's in christ's name we pray amen well i invite you to stand as we sing our hymn of response silent night holy night hymn number 315